Hey everybody, Max here. I just wanted to give a quick content warning. In this episode, we talk about animal trials in the Middle Ages, which includes some talk about people being put on trial for raping animals. If you'd prefer to skip over this, we talk about it from about the 3 minute to 5 minute mark, and it comes up briefly in our What If They Met from the 59 minute to 1 hour 30 second marks. Thanks, and I hope you all enjoy the episode. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Hello, and, and welcome, welcome to... to- Anachronismo. Anachronismo. I'm Jackie. I'm Max. I'm Noel. And today we're going to be telling you about animal trials. Uh, how Holland ended up mostly below sea level. And the rise of chewing gum in America. Ooh. Would you say that you're talking about the chewing gum bubble? The bubble, Noel? <laughs> no, the bubble. Yes. Get it? Yep. Because you blow a bubble well, with chewing gum. it never popped, though. Oh, and that's an economics term. Oh. Yeah. The chewing gum bubble? Yeah. Bubble. Oh, yeah. 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 It, it was is. a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what can I say? I'm a modern poet. Uh, we'll take us away, Jackie. Let's hear about these aminal trials. Aminal trials. Um, so in the Middle Ages, it was fairly common to bring animals to trial for any crimes they would have committed. Uh-huh. Um, so some of them were real crimes, like, uh... Murder. Yeah. Larceny. Murder. Arson. Murder. Impersonating a police officer. Largely murder. Okay. Or injury. Impersonating a priest. <laughs> Not that I read. Selling fake relics from the church. <laughs> Selling alcohol to underage children. No, oh. no. Um, so the so most common animal Saint Bernard with their with their little barrels of rum never got some kids drunk on a mountain. Not that I came across in my research. I guess they are good boys. <laughs> um, so the most common animal to be taken to court and tried for its crimes were pigs, um, just because they were everywhere like every village had some pigs they were of economic importance to mm-hmm. people so they couldn't like get rid of the pigs no. um but the pigs they tended to like injure children and kill infants and things yeah um you shouldn't that's why they had to limit the sale of switchblades to pigs oh that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> um so animals are also brought to trial um in the case of um, bestiality, the animal would also be tried and usually found guilty and killed uh, for being complicit. There was one particular case where I'm forgetting the name of the man, but he and the cow were, uh, he and the, sorry, this one was a mule. He and the mule were on trial and a character witness came and called the mule dependable and hardworking. So the mule was spared, but the man was murdered. <laughs> Okay, was killed for his crime. Listeners, you can't see my face right now, but I love that a mule had more character witnesses than the man who had sex with it. I mean, I guess that does make sense. I really hope the mule was at the execution. 
just like a rainy, stormy day, and like I don't, for like a hanging, and like the guy looks out over the crowds, and in the distance he just sees like in a window just the mule looking out at him. And the mule like draws the curtain before he gets hung because you know even though it does provide closure, they still they don't want to have they don't want to let his life have that much of an impact on them to define themselves by it. Yep, it's beautiful. But the donkey and the horse that uh, were his parents watched the whole time. Okay, cutting that <laughs> joke. <laughs> I like the, the guys being brought up and like the oh, the horse father just is like Rrr! like charges through the crowd and it like takes like twenty people to try to hold him back. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stick to his level. <laughs> You're better than this, Mister Red. <laughs> Um, so animals were brought up, <laughs> brought to court um, for these sort of acute crimes, I guess. But the crime, the uh, the trial that I want to talk about specifically was one that was not not so acute. Um, so they would also bring entire plagues and scorches to trial. Um, like if there were a lot of locusts destroying your crops, you would bring the locusts to trial. <laughs> And the the case that I want to talk about started in 1510 in Autun, France. Um, there were a lot of rats that descended upon this this area of France, and they started eating all of the barley crop. And um, so the people were trying whatever the normal means of getting rid of all these rats is, um, and they were unsuccessful. So by 1522, they were on the edge of like famine. Now, my apologies on the dates. I saw a couple different dates on when this happened. 1510 was one, and 1522 was the other. So I, I don't know. I don't know when Maybe it, it happened, happened twice. This was before Double Jeopardy. <laughs> but um, but keep keep those that legal jargon in mind. So the people were naturally upset and worried about their livelihoods because they were on the verge of famine with the rats eating all of the barley. So they complained to their um, their bishop for the region. Um, and this bishop decided that they should put the rats on trial. Um, cause at the time there weren't, um, government courts as we think of them now. Um, these were ecclesiastical courts cause everything was kind of controlled by the church mm-hmm. at the time. So the bishop, um, assigned a lawyer to represent the rats. <laughs> His name was Bartholomew, Bartholomew I definitely, definitely pronounced that wrong. Sorry, French people. Um, Do you say Bartholomew or Bartholomew? Mule. Okay. He was not. He was not a mule. I'm just saying maybe that maybe that mule like yeah. saw how much that lawyer helped him and realized that you know they wanted to to go on and help others in the same way. Mm. But you know, society being what it was, <laughs> the mule could not become a jurist. <laughs> Makes for a hell of a like a movie story though. Mm-hmm. You uh so. So Bartholomew was a sign, like he did not volunteer to represent he the rats. He did not volunteer. I wonder how he felt about taking a case like that. He knew that this was going to be an uphill battle since the rats were generally disliked. So his, <laughs> his, <laughs> so his strategy was that he wanted to um, sort of delay this trial long enough to find a loophole um, so that the rats could get off. Mm -hmm. Um, So on the first day in court, um, he presented his argument 
that it was unclear which rats were on trial for this crime. Was it all rats? Because that's not fair, because not all the rats probably ate the barley, just some of the rats. And that this trial was taking place without, like, proper notice to the rats to appear before the court. So he told the, um, the bishop that they needed to spread the summons further. So the bishop decided to contact all the priests in all the parishes in this region of France and had them announce to their parishes that all the rats in each of these far-flung parishes should come and appear before the court in autumn. And this is from a separate... Um, I was reading a, a legal review that described how a summons would be done. Um, so it wasn't tied to this particular case, so I'm not sure if this is exactly how it went down. But apparently the priest would have to summons three times. So they would go to a field where the creatures frequent, was a quote from <laughs> from the University of Pennsylvania Law Review that I read about this. And they would have to just announce to this field where the rats usually are <laughs> that the rats need to present themselves in autumn France on such and such, and such date. So the date rolls around. And as you imagine, no rats present themselves. And our friend... You'd really think at least one rat would have come. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Just like mistakenly seen in the courtroom and they're like, he's here! <laughs> so our, our friend Bartholomew, he, um, he, he knew that the rats not showing up was not going to be good for their case. <laughs> <So>. Every <laughs> sentence in we the story... gave them a chance. <laughs> Every sentence is gold. Bartholomew said that the rats did not appear, and I quote, on the ground of the length and difficulty of their journey and serious perils which attend it, owing to the unwearying vigilance of their mortal enemies, the cats, who watched all their movements <laughs> with fell intent, lay in wait for them at every corner and passage. So, Bartholomew argued to the court that because the rats could not make it to court safely, they should not have to stand trial. Just like you would say to a person who, if they showed up in court, was likely to be murdered on the way there, that they do not have to show up. I mean, that's sound legal reasoning. It really, it really is. So the court adjourns to try and figure out how to prevent the cats from killing the rats when they come to show up for the trial. I like to think that this bishop and lawyer just both, like, were waiting to, like, for the other guy to break first. And it's just like, well, the rats can't possibly go on trial because they haven't given notice. Well, then we'll send out notices to the region. Oh, but it's not safe for the rats to get here because the cats will do well, then I guess we'll adjourn and be back in two days. <laughs> so actually, Bartholomew went ahead and demanded that the plaintiffs, that would be the, the townspeople, um, should be bonded under penalty to keep the cats from frightening the rats. <laughs> so naturally, um, the court just let the period of appearance uh, stretch out. So no judgment was actually uh, handed down to the rats. So they saved face. They they saved face. Um, and according to the article that I read, usually they would try and adjourn and not go so far as to actually metting out the punishment when this sort of trial took place. 
Um, probably because they knew that they couldn't actually do anything to the <laughs> things that were on trial. So literally just a placebo for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a show trial, you know, yeah. to, to quiet public outrage against rats. Mm-hmm. Ah. Um, because so- if, if the rats were found guilty... The thing that would happen would be that probably the same bunch of guys who were out in the fields in the different parishes would have to announce to the rats that they need to leave by such and such date. And if they didn't leave by that date, they were going to be excommunicated from the church. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's really going to put the fear of God in those rats. Yeah, it did. Um... Um, put the fear of God in the <laughs> Sorry, not put the fear of God in the rats. It brought up the logical question of, can rats enter into contracts with God? Sure. Um, and people were torn. People were torn about this. Um, some argued that because um, animals re- were created by God before man and God provided for them in the ark during the Great Flood, that that implies a relationship between god and um animals including the rats Uh so that does make them liable to legal proceedings and excommunication and antithema which was anathema which was the word that they used for um for animals yeah um but then other people said that animals have no intelligence and they would not be able to enter a compact even with god so it's unjust to legally uh punish them for because they're ignorant creatures and that the courts should only apply to those who are in their purview i.e those people who have been baptized uh, this is setting a lot of important legal precedent <laughs> and i bet those starving farmers were at the forefront of this question <laughs> <laughs> didn't want to take time away from their busy farms to go and try and tell rats that they were in trouble with priests yeah on the one hand the rats are not baptized, but on the other... <clears throat> We're dying. Yeah, so a couple... a couple. There are a couple thoughts to why they would bring animals to court. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for more acute crimes like a pig that eats a baby. Um, so it's like revenge. Yeah, punishment. No. Yeah, you, um, you so, gotta you gotta kill the pig that eats the baby because otherwise pigs are gonna be like, well, there's no consequences. That was one of the arguments. And look at their own back for people eating their baby back ribs. Too bad. It's funny how that worked that the uh, animals could never uh, bring people to court in the same way. Yeah, it seems <laughs> fundamentally unfair. We're constantly killing and eating pigs. They can't sue us for that. And we even eat lambs, which are baby sheep. Well, so if we're going back for our legal precedent to the Bible. Um, the They're... animals are supposed to be under man's domain, dominion. dominion. Yeah. Um, so we can do whatever we want. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so other reasons that animals might be taken to court is to, like you said, serve as an example to other animals. Sure. But also to serve as an example to men to be like, you shouldn't murder babies because look what we did to this pig that murdered a baby. The pig's way cuter than you. Yeah. But I'm sure you'll make just as good bacon. Um, and then the argument that was used more when the, the punishment was excommunication was that the animals were actually instruments of the devil oh, in that case. Ooh. You can't excommunicate what's already, you know, evil. Right? Yeah, in that case they called it exorcising instead of excommunicating. Uh, 
like when they drove like when they drove evil spirits into a pig and then threw it over a cliff <laughs> in the Bible. Oh, I, I don't remember. Yeah, that's the, the story of Legion. It's wild. <laughs> a bunch of demons possessed. Christ d- drove all the demons out of the town people into a pig, and then they chased the pig off a cliff. Okay, well that works for like the theater and symbolism of mm-hmm. punishing the animal. Um, but then I came across some other fun facts that don't really go with the the more religious aspects of it. But apparently during the Middle Ages, um, animals were really considered part of your household. Yeah. Um, so the thought was that these animals were basically personified and kind of got the characteristics of people and the trust of them since they were part of their household. So mm-hmm. they just, almost like domestication, like you have a pet so you care about it more and you think it can be responsible for things. Um, and in Germanic law at the time, you could actually have an animal of your household be a witness in court. They call them silent what? witnesses. I did not see how this actually worked in practice, um, but it was supposed to be something like if you were robbed... You could bring in the horse, and the horse just points a hoof. Yeah, basically. I I think that's how it was supposed to work. But yeah, they were deemed as competent witnesses. Um, That's the end of my story. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Uh, What crime would you accuse a pig of? The crimes it committed. (laughs) This is serious business. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> the sanctity of the church and the law is at stake. <laughs> I would I would dress up a pig like a police officer and then bring it to trial for impersonating a police officer. Oh, you know I'd, I'd frame them. I guess then I'd be the criminal, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But it's a pig. It's a little piggy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little pig, and he's also a pig. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he loves it. Yep. How about you, Noel? Um, what would I take? A pig to court over? Yeah. Um, I would want it to have stolen the Pope's hat, <laughs> but until guilt is determined, the pig gets to keep the hat <laughs> in an innocent until proven guilty uh, situation. So the entire duration of the trial, the Pope is just sitting there, um, probably just with a skull cap on or, or um, whatever, or just oh. bald. And then the pig is sitting in the, uh, I don't know, whatever, the uh, defendant's side. And he's just, you know, has a little trowel to keep him busy and hungry or fed during the uh, trial. And he's got the Pope's hat on. <laughs> Ooh, unfortunately, uh, innocent until proven guilty was not was not a thing in the Middle Ages. Well, this is, this is a modern trial. Oh, modern yeah, trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I would make a pig rob a bank for me mm-hmm. um and then i would just pin it on him if he gets caught uh, okay he'd be a patsy yeah more like a he'd be a, a sausage patsy mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um i would i teach a pig how to use a computer mm-hmm. and then i would teach it how to pirate things and then i would have it pirate a lot of like uh music and then i would use it as a show trial to show how ridiculous intellectual property law is Look, they're suing a pig. Why does the pig even get them? But of course, you know, the music industry can hire better lawyers than me, so I guess that pig's bacon is cooked. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. 
I thought of another one. Okay, let's hear it. I would have a pig go to a state where it's legal to buy fireworks. <laughs> buy me the fireworks and then trundle his way back home over state lines. That way, if the pig gets caught, no paper trail to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If the fireworks go off, bacon. It's win-win. You have to show an ID to buy fireworks. Okay, so you also you'd want to... Get the pig a fake ID. Yeah. And then if it gets arrested, that's that pig's fake ID. You know? He just holds up the, like, the pig's ID. It's like a horse. And he's just like, hmm. <laughs> and then, like, look at the horse. Look at the pig. Look at the ID. Look at the pig. Look at the ID. Pig's wearing a horse mask. <laughs> All right, you can go. In. Oh, you know he's also I... wearing, like, a custom little backpack to fit on the pig to hold the fire. <laughs> yep. And he just trundles and trots all oh, the way home. He's got like some carrots and stuff in that backpack too, yeah, just a in case. Yeah. yeah, and he's got one of those little grabber things, you know, that uh, you give to kids so he can reach things that are farther away, mm-hmm. like a little dinosaur. Oh, and, and he controls it with his mouth. With his mouth, so he can mm-hmm. pick up the fireworks and put them in the bag. Because otherwise, he just got trotters. He can't do it. That's true. Yeah, uh, but that's what I would go with. That's that's good. That's I like cute. that. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now that we've gone through some pretty adorable crimes, I would like to talk to you about Holland. So, uh, what do you think of when you think of Holland? Um, tulips. Tulips, yes. Yeah. Uh, what else? Canals. Canals, yes, very good. Getting closer, getting warmer. Windmills? Windmills, yes, those are also very important to this story. Okay. Wooden well, uh, shoes? Is that Holland? Yeah, that's Holland, okay. but not relevant. <laughs> That's part of this. I didn't know it was part of the rules that it had to be relevant. I mean, <laughs> I, you can keep you, okay. Are, are, Oats. Uh, blonde oh. people. Uh, yeah. Ice skating. Okay. No. No. Yes, but you know, no. All right. Are you ready? Uh, blankets. Uh, okay. What? Blankets. No. What? No. It, okay. This has gotten out of hand. People. <laughs> High quality of life. Okay. Cities. Yes. Yes. Cities. Soggy. Soggy. There. That's it. <laughs> Holland is soggy. And this is the story of why Holland is soggy. Hollandaise sauce. Okay, we've, okay we're done. We're past this bit now, Jackie. <laughs> Never. Oats. Okay, no. Oats. I get it, I get it. You get it? I get it. Yeah! Holland, Holland oats. oats. Uh, okay, well, I'm done. Good joke, Noel. Okay, I'm gonna just leave this room. Um, so, Holland is soggy. Uh, Holland, as we all know, has to have a ser- has a series of dikes around it that keep it from flooding, because it's a flat country. It's below sea level, right? So what you wonder is, but why would you start that? Yes. <laughs> so how would Ho- you know that would even work? Well, this is the story I'm about to tell you. Yay! So Holland wasn't always soggy. It's always been a um, a country on the sea, and it's always been like tied to the sea. But it used to be quite a bit above sea level. Um, but what happened is, around 1000 AD, this is mostly geological and archaeological evidence, so we don't have exact, exact dates, but around 1000 AD, um, there was uh, about a century of drought, which um, Holland used to have a lot of bogs and a lot of like sand hills, right? Hmm. So the bogs started to dry up, the peat in them got lower and lower and seemed accessible now. So what people did was they started farming in the bogs and they started um, picking them dry to make more farmable land. And then they'd bring in cows and the cows would graze in the bogs. But the thing is, 
peat, when it is dry, or even when it's wet, it is easy to compact, right? It gets driven down and driven down a lot. So what happened was the the peat was, was smaller because it was dry. Then it was smaller because they built canals and ditches to drain it. And then the cattle trampled it down until eventually the peat started turning sour and smelly and you couldn't, you couldn't farm on it anymore. So you had to move on and drain more bog and bring in more cattle and so on and so forth until they went through a lot of their bogs that way. So what happened was the landscape uh, that was surrounded by sand dunes, so at this time pretty safe because most of the country was surrounded by pretty high dunes because of various storms, kept dropping lower and lower. So let's shift our focus real quick mm-hmm. to the town of Medemblik, uh, which sat on the side of the Almir Lake. So uh, Medemblik was built on a big ridge of sand, um, and it seemed like a really secure, great, great idea. Even though the peat was sinking and the bogs were sinking, the ridge of sand, by comparison, kept raising higher and higher because the land around it was sinking. Uh, storm surges brought in sandy clay and covered the sand and bound it and kept it seeming safe, and the town was surrounded with cornfields and oats and barley, which bound up the land and kept it from eroding more, right? Mm-hmm. Some sheep could graze, some pigs could graze, everything was pretty great, right? And there was always more peat to reclaim, so they could keep grazing. But eventually they ran out of peat, and eventually a big storm came. So, the storms broke down the hill that Medemblik was on, mm-hmm. and then the sea settled into the lake that Medemblik was next to and turned it brackish so they couldn't drink it. And uh, then the town was just partly washed away. But people were pretty stubborn, so they rebuilt Medemblik plot by plot. They raised the ground with peat and clay brought in from elsewhere. The embankments were made slope steep, and you know the, they built, rebuilt, and then mm-hmm. got washed away again. Oh. Um, and as they kept rebuilding it, the land around it kept sinking because they kept bringing in peat. So eventually they learned their lesson. They had to manage the water. They had to keep the peat sort of arid and sort of watery. They had to keep the, the, the lake sort of drained. They couldn't just drain things willy-nilly. They had to be smart about it. So, uh, so they did. They formed the first water control board. Um... So by 1250, Holland had gotten a reputation for being able to manage and control water, um, to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, So they were able to trade with North Germany easily because they were always welcome there because they had people who knew how to manage water. So if you were a waterman, you could just go there. So the Dutch started trading with North Germany. And they, um, they, they realized that, hey, you know what North Germany needs? North Germany needs some fuel. What kind of fuel do we have? Well, we have peat. So they started mining peat. Started digging it up and burning it, or digging it up and transporting it, digging it up and selling it, selling tons and tons of peat. At first they mined it dry from the edges of the bog, which was fine, uh, but the the demand kept growing. Uh, They started mining down deeper and deeper, and the peat pit started to fill with water, and the ponds began to flood together, and water began to block the mining. So they had to dredge peat out of standing water and ferry it to dry land using boats, the ferry, which they called the ferrying of fen. Hmm. So they kept digging out more and more of their country and selling it. <laughs> and those peat moss shareholders were very pleased. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they did do pretty well. They built yeah. a thriving industry on that. So eventually, the water board couldn't really control like the level of the water anymore. So they had to level, le- levy, like, water taxes on landowners. 
They had to um, they had to raise money from uh, they had to raise money to pay for these uh, for their like various improvements, and eventually they developed a new tool for keeping the um, the water dredged. Can anyone tell me what that tool is? We talked about it earlier. Dikes. Yes, but what got the water out of the ground? Windmills. Oh, windmills. <laughs> <laughs> scoop by scoop. They're tiny little buckets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you do when you outgrow your clogs? You give them to the bucket bringing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so by 1500, they developed uh, windmills and sluices to keep the land drained. And they started building these dikes. To What's keep... a sluice? A sluice is, well, it's kind of an onomatopoeia. It sluices out water. Huh? It's just like a channel, almost like a canal. Yeah. Um, oh, like they do for when you're panning for gold and you have the yeah. thingy? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they you, know, you keep pumping it out and it has to go somewhere, so you sluice it out. Okay. Um, so by the 1500s, they'd started building these windmills, and they'd started dredging the land dry. And um, they, you know, had this flat... Now they had a, they'd made a very flat country, so their windmills usually had a lot of wind. So they've made a technology out of just having land at all. So, you know, these sluices actually were pretty useful because they actually also funneled a lot of fish through. So they, so, they got, so they caught a lot of fish, caught a surplus of fish, and were able to trade that fish to other countries. I'll um, take five bog fish, please. <laughs> I mean, no joke, but it could be dried and, like, <laughs> and shipped, and it was reliable protein. Um... It was reliable protein, and that that gave them like a lot of the startup capital that got them their tulips. Yeah, well, their 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 <laughs> tulips, their clean cities, their ability to um to trade and keep trading. The reason Holland, the reason like Dutch uh, Dutch cities were so clean was because all the soiled peat was everywhere, and everyone was so muddy all the time. They were when they got back home, they're like enough. And so they like, were constantly cleaning their streets and their homes and making them like shine by scrubbing them. And now that they had these flat landscapes, you didn't have like hills or like honestly a lot of easy building roads. So they built the canals to ship things within Holland and to get things out to sea. Because otherwise your cart would just fucking sink in the mire. So the landscape of Holland, in my short story here, was radically transformed because... People got greedy, basically, and then managed to just keep falling forward (laughs) (laughs) until Holland looks like it is today. Are there trees in bogs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, like, trees. I don't know what a bog is. It's like a swamp, but nasty. Okay. Yeah. Um, There's, you know, like, you've seen, like, cranberries being grown. Yes. Yeah, it's like, bogs are like a swamp, but there's, like, little pools and stuff in a lot of places. I think. I had assumed cranberry bogs were, like, not natural. Like, they were man-made. I mean, yes, but bogs existed before cranberry bogs. And cranberries had to grow somewhere. Okay. Right? Probably. Where are cranberries from? (laughs) We're not (laughs) cranberanismo. But now would be a good time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Please go over to our sister podcast, Cranberanismo, uh, (laughs) where Mackie... Uh, Nax and Joel uh, will tell you all about uh, about cranberries and cranberry farming techniques. <laughs> we have a story today about how cranberries ended World War One. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem like accurate history. Well, we're not anachronismo. Check out our sister podcast, Anachronismo. 
Don't go to them for cranberry stories, though. They don't know how to do it right. They don't know bupkis. And we're back. <laughs> That's just a sample of the many fun times you'll have over at Cranberanismo. So I just have, like, an image in my mind of every time the windmills, um, paddles? What are they called? Fins? Uh, sails. Sails. There we go. Yeah. Every time the sails make an an entire circuit like a fish just flies down a sluice <laughs> it's like oh we need more fish turn the sails <laughs> like fish, a fish start dreading windy days because they just get sucked up <laughs> kind of like um i'm imagining it like a gumball machine where the fish then gets like sucked up like a curly cue kind of path mm-hmm. and then out the sluice <laughs> To a bunch of kids with their hands cupped. Uh, and mom, can I have just, another gust? Just start eating the fish raw right there. Uh, I mean, I mean, raw fish is pretty good. Well, you know what, Jackie? Yeah? That was a good segue. I know. Into my story. I could tell by your excited grin <laughs> and nodding vigorously. Um, oh, yeah, right. You're doing the history of Gollum, right? And how he loved eating raw fish. So close. <laughs> So close. I talking about the history of chewing gum. Uh, oh, oh, something else to put on the bottom of your unused clogs. I actually, there's a pair of clogs at my parents' house. I tried to wear them once when I was a kid and realized they were just purely decorative. So when I was like nine years old, they used to be like on the shelf uh, in my house, and mm-hmm. I would try like to put them on. I was like, these are so uncomfortable. <laughs> and then I was just like. I realized that my feet were too big and not square enough to jam into them, so I never wound up wearing them. But I turned out okay. Right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) No ringing silences on this show. (laughs) Do we... Do we tell them? Chewing gum! (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to bring back somebody that I talked about previously on this show. Now, Jackie already knows who it is, but Max... Take a swing, if you can remember, back over nine or ten months of all the shows we've done and all the kooky people I've brought up. Horace Porter. No! Um, you got one more guess. I'll give you a hint. He had a full military parade to bury his leg. Santa Anna. Santa Anna, yes. How do you remember that? I mean, that's the, like, that the major focus of that story, was that sweet leg burial. Ah, yep. Yeah. So Santa Anna did not invent chewing gum, but he was apparently a huge catalyst in its adoption in America. Mm. I mean, I get it. Like he uh, he lost his leg because it got stuck in chewing got stuck in chewing gum. Oh no! And someone just came by and just cut, cut it off as he was trying to get away. Yeah, and then oh. he made out another leg out of chewing gum, <laughs> and then he used the chewing gum on the old leg and tried to stick it to his stump, but it didn't work. <laughs> But he kept trying. It's like, oh, maybe this time. I he, chewed this one a lot. He died of <laughs> massive infections. Oof. No, that's not true. <laughs> but anyway, so Santa Ana, 11 or 12 time elected uh, president of Mexico, was eventually exiled from Mexico. Because um, he didn't bring enough gum for everybody. But he had enough for America. Well, he sure did. No, at this point... Um, so, have you ever heard of uh, Chiclets uh, oh, gum? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I The name, I think, is supposed to derive... If you've ever wondered why they were called chiclets... I have. It's because um, when gum was first created, at least I think this is why, um, it is actually from a uh, the latex of a, a tree called the sapodilla, and the latex is called uh, chicle. Chicle. Yep. So it's like just a tree sap that... Um, grew uh grows on trees in south america and so it was a very just popular like thing to chew on uh Mm -hmm. akin to i guess like tobacco or just sort of just like i just want to be moving or doing something so um so santa Ana was a big fan of chewing this uh chicle and when he was exiled from mexico he wound up traveling through parts of the united states and he wound up in new york and he met a man there um, called Thomas Adams. Mm-hmm. And Thomas Adams uh, saw, I guess, Santa Ana brought up a collection of, like, chicle trees or, like, just chicle in boxes so he could just keep on chewing. Mm-hmm. And um, Thomas Adams uh, thought that he could use that chicle to make uh, rubber um, out of it. How'd and, that work out? Well... There are no chewable tires, so it did not work out too well for Mr. Adams. Anything is chewable yeah. if yeah. you try. That's true. That's true. Maybe that would explain why dogs love chasing cars so much. Mm. They just want to get that good gum chew. Blow a bowl. Yeah. Can you imagine a, a dog catches a car and it just starts chewing the tires and goes, and just blows a big old black big old bubble. bubble just uh... <laughs> Blows a tire. Oh my god. Um, and so, uh, so Thomas Adam was working with Santa Ana on this product. Santa mm-hmm. Ana just bailed and left all the uh, chicle behind, and all the storage fees had to be paid by Adams. Mm-hmm. So, how much did he bring? Apparently, a lot. Um, it was like four mini storage containers. Yeah, it was apparently that it was just like in part of a warehouse or something, and mm-hmm. then Santa Ana bailed. And he is out of the story. But he brought Chicle over to Thomas Adams. So they tried to make tires out of it. Or not tires. They tried to make rubber out of it. Did not work. And so they decided that uh, because they had seen Santa Ana chewing on it, that they were going to uh, make it into like a chewable ball that you could buy at a pharmacy. So they kneaded and rolled up some balls and they sold it to a druggist who then sold it to people. And then that snowballed because um, it started, like, to get super popular just in New York. And so Adams invested. Get this. How much do you think Adams invested to keep on developing chewing gum? $20,000. I think a quarter. And that is why, to this day, a chewing gum ball costs a quarter. That, no. Which of us was closer? Well, Jackie went over, so you win by Price is Right rules. $55. And you, he was also much closer. In he, you were much closer. <laughs> like, way closer. Yeah. So, yeah, he just uh, really put all of his savings, or however much that was in Pulled up, put old it all money. On, he put it all on pink. <laughs> um, but this was, like, 1830s, so. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a, a significant chunk. Oh my gosh, a 25-cent gumball would yeah. would uh, bankrupt you. <laughs> pretty big. It's a lot of gum. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, he just, uh, it started to take off. He first labeled uh, the gum, Adam's New York Gum Snapping and Stretching. 
which is a cool title. You mm-hmm. wouldn't see that kind of title on a product today. Well, it tells you what to do with it if yeah. it's new and you're not sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, yeah, he... It doesn't, it doesn't say chewing, though. That is the critical one that they're missing. <laughs> Damn it, I thought I had a good explanation. <laughs> so, um... Well, that's the obvious thing to do. Mm-hmm. Everyone just put everything right in their mouths in those days. That's how you test it, like rats. Yeah. Have to eat a little bit of everything to see what it's like. Well, I thought you meant you eat a little bit of a rat. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you really wanted to know. <sighs> Just as an appetizer, when you have a little bit of a rat. A rat, a rat appetizer. A rat appetizer. Yeah. <laughs> Alston dumplings. Mm. Yo, guys, you want to go get some rats after the show? I've got an alleyway right by my house that we can just chow down. <laughs> Yeah, it just uh, took off from there. So, mm-hmm. ultimately, Santa Ana got the ball rolling. <laughs> got ball rolling. <laughs> On uh, chewing gum in uh, America, the first flavor, the oldest flavor. Um, oh, can we guess? Yes. What do you think is the oldest flavor for gum? Plain. Well, stop. <laughs> you stop. Stop. Uh, I'm going to guess... Banana. Uh, I'm going to guess Willy Wonka style uh, three course meal with uh, transformative blueberry. Licorice. Anise. Max, you went over on that one. So by price of right rules, Jackie wins with banana, but also with licorice. It was licorice. It was licorice? It was black licorice. Called blackjack. Winner and champion, Jackie! Maybe I'll speak. Captain her good graces. What does she win? A new car with Shut chewable up, tires. No, no. <laughs> I'll take a used one. It's fine. With okay, but it's still, still chewable. chewable. That's tires. the important part. Um, there was some resistance to the new uh, chewing gum fad, which was that uh, mostly from parents and schools that uh, school teachers thought it would wipe out all learning in the classroom, um, that it was posed a threat to the education of the children. And um, some people started rumors that it was made out of horse hooves. That's ridiculous. Everyone knows gelatin is made out of horse hooves. Yeah. And kids love jello. And thus horse hooves. Yeah. Horse hooves. Horse horse shoes. Horse Horse, hooves. Horse hooves. Crunching them like a horse shoes. With new tooth-breaking flavor. (laughs) The secret ingredient is metal. Um, but, and then the last one was, uh, fears started that if you swallowed a piece of gum, it would make your intestines stick together, which is something my, I think like people, when I was a kid told me that that would happen. I can't remember if it was parents or other kids, but I distinctly remember like being like, if you swallow a piece of gum, you can't digest it for like over like 10 years years. or something like that the seven years and i've heard i but i also heard that like if you swallowed gum i think i was like young when i heard this so i thought they were saying like whoever told me this was that your lungs would stick together like somehow the gum would kind of stick in your throat and wind up in your lungs and stretch them together which is a horrifying idea that really actually made me scared of (laughs) if i ever swallowed gum but I don't know who perpetuated this 19th century lie. I heard but... if you blow a if you blow a bubblegum bubble mm-hmm. and it doesn't pop but just like deflates back into your mouth, you would suffocate. Jeez. Yeah, because it's, it's all carbon dioxide. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, that one that one felt plausible as a kid. 
Yeah. I heard that if you blew a bubble in a dark bathroom and said, bloody bubble, bloody bubble, bloody bubble, the giant bloody bubble would come and kill you. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. I heard you put your gun back in the wrapper, right? You could get it out again later and chew it more. Yeah. But only if you knew the secret code. Who did you have to tell it to? I don't. I never found out. No one. <laughs> I never figured out the secret code. <laughs> I never got to that testing stage. I heard that if you, if you took a piece of chewing gum and shaped it like a flat, like a disc, like a little mm-hmm. oval, and you you put it under your pillow, the the tooth fairy left you a finger under your pillow. Okay, and I, you're, you guys are. You guys are making stuff up, and I'm sharing my legitimate gum anxieties. Oh, Have you ever a... picked up okay. a pillow and seen a finger under it? No. Yeah, me, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. Yeah. Because I have a, a burning question mm-hmm. from, from this story. If you were ever exiled, what would you take the care to bring an entire warehouse full with you in your exile? But, oh, so if we were exiled from the U.S., what is in the U.S. that we could not get anywhere else that we would... Not necessarily that you couldn't get it anywhere else, just that you thought enough of, like, oh, I want to take that with me, and you had to bring an entire warehouse full with you. Because apparently you had enough time to know you were being exiled to arrange for the transportation and acquisition of a warehouse full of stuff. Corn dogs. I don't know where I don't know if you could get that anywhere else. Hmm. Or maybe fried dough with marinara sauce. Look at soggy. Oh, that's true. Well, no, if you keep the fried dough separate from the marinara sauce, you get two crates of them. But now I'm breaking the parameters. Yeah. I'm going to stick with corn dogs. <laughs> I would bring freedom. Or no, sorry, you're you're right. I'd bring bald eagles in a warehouse. That's cruel. Yeah, but you know, They'd be like they'd have like their own like environment in there, right? They'd like they'd all have their own like large cage. Like it, oh. wouldn't, <laughs> it wouldn't just be like packed nuts to butts, eagle on eagle. Like what's like, like a real stackable chair? Yeah, no, eagles. just just you know put them in a put them in a cage. <laughs> just take these wild free animals, a symbol of freedom, and then put yeah. it in a cage. Well, they are free cage. range within the warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> Just a big warehouse full of eagles that are just within the warehouse, free to do as they please. Yeah, and that way, that way, when I got wherever I was going, I could threaten to open the doors of the warehouse and let loose hell. Oh, so that's or, how you monetize it. Yeah, yeah, it'd be it's a be a active threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you would you're exiled from your country. Yeah. You would go to another country. Yeah. Uh, imprison a bunch of once free animals that stand as a symbol of freedom in the country you've been exiled from yep, yep. and then threaten people in the new country that if they don't play your game you're going to unleash these animals to try to destroy their ecosystem by introducing a, a like apex no, no you're not destroying so, no. the ecosystem no, you, you, I unleash them in a major city in a major city. Yeah, in a major city. Can you look at thousands of eagles just Chaos. in a major city starving, swooping down on people, on yeah, children? No, Chaos I know. and fear. I, yeah. I think it's not about that, ecological destruction. It's about human destruction. It's about, it's about power. Yeah. And irony, that, let's be honest here. I don't really think that changes my, <laughs> any of my points that I was bringing up. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. I thought your point was that it was ecological destruction. No, no, just that... Are you saying it wouldn't you, may, you might have deserved this exile. <laughs> I'd be going from president of one country to, to ruler of another. But we never said we were innocent yeah. in this. 
Why would you assume that? If I were exiled, it's probably for a reason. Look, exile is like a, a specific, pretty hard to enforce, and like pretty strict thing, but also the only do to people who are pretty powerful already. You don't so exile, I have a you side don't exile story for shoplifting. A side story on exile yeah. and uh, court trials against inanimate objects, which I also came across while I was researching animal trials. Um, so there was a town, I think it was in Greece, where something some, something bad had happened to the town. Or, oh no, a statue fell and killed a child. Okay. So they exiled the statue by throwing it into the sea. <laughs> Would that all our problems could be solved so easily. But then the town was hit with, I forget if it was a natural disaster or some sort of famine or Mm. something bad was happening to the town. So they decided that they needed to bring back everyone they had exiled to sort of like make up for it. And they had to, they had to, they actually found some sailors who just like sailed around and looked for the statue and then pulled it back up and brought it back to town and they put it back up. And then their whatever their problem, whatever problem it was, went away after that. Sounds like uh, causation, definitely not correlation. Mm -hmm. Um, That's amazing. (laughs) I wonder if they stuck it back up with gum. Full circle. Uh, So we're trying out a new segment this uh, week on anachronismo that we didn't tell Noel about. We did not tell Noel about (laughs) that. We meant to tell Noel about, but we didn't. Uh, And this segment is called "What Were They Wearing." Uh, name to be workshopped. Yeah, uh, yeah. Going... No, actually, yeah. Let's scrap that name. Okay. That's it's got it's loaded. Yeah, you're right. We right. skip that. What what do we want to call it? No. Uh, well, what is the segment? Because uh, if so... it's not what were they wearing, <laughs> in... that name is misleading. <laughs> uh, in this in this segment, uh, we talk about the sort of things that people actually wore during a time period. Uh, maybe that they wore for their job or for fashion uh, or for any other number of reasons, but. Thing, you know, the things that people actually wore. Because a lot of uh, fashion is like, oh, what nobles were wearing. But not so much what, like, uh, a tailor would wear. Or a dog herd. Or uh, just a random person into fashion at the time. So, uh, yeah, in this segment we talk about historical clothing. Uh, we'll, we'll call it histothing. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep working on the, on the name. Fashion friends. <laughs> I love that, yes. Uh... It's called Fashion Friends. <laughs> so we're calling this segment Fashion, Fashion Friends. Friends. The name can still be workshop. Yeah, we can all work on it. <laughs> um, so I looked up what 15th and 16th century lawyers would wear. Mm-hmm. Um, and they basically dressed up as mini judges in Europe at the time, as you might assume. Um, so jurists, at, that's what lawyers were called at the time, mm-hmm. um, were thought to be judge apprentices, uh-huh. basically. Um, so they would wear things very similar to what a judge would wear. But at the time, there were no color restrictions on what people could wear as a judge or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. So they would frequently wear, like, bright pink or blue or purple. Because they could afford it. Yeah, and it was more like the um, the king or the um, the bishop or whoever was, like, imbuing them with power wanted to show through the clothing that they were someone important that you should listen to because they were a reflection of whatever the ruling people were. Cool. Um, so they were often dressed in very fancy and expensive clothes um, in order to, like, show their importance. Oh. Um, so they wore, like, 
in France, they wore these funny-looking stiff black hats called togues. Oh. Um, and they're basically narrow hats with no brim. <laughs> so think of your your um so like a little eraser head like kind of like like you put an eraser on the on the tip of your pencil back in school like yeah. kind of like that but less like triangular mm-hmm. amazing yeah i'm the thing that came closest to my mind was you know how in elementary school you would make a pilgrim hat out of cardboard mm-hmm. but just get rid of the brim and the buckle <laughs> and that's it. Oh, that's very good and stupid. <laughs> very stupid looking. I love it. Um and they also wore um Fancy collars. Mm. Actually, the more I think about this, the more like a stereotypical pilgrim. <laughs> except imagine it in a more fun color. Okay. Um, and then they also sometimes wore elaborate shoulder pieces and something called a chaperon, which is basically um, like a hood cloak kind of thing. I love this. This is like a pilgrim wizard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they usually had wide bell, um, bell-shaped sleeves on their gowns, and then they would wear um, they would wear like an over tunic on top of that. They must have been so sweaty all the time. Yeah, but it could either be made of cloth, wool, or silk, and it probably was seasonal. That would be my assumption. And uh, no color consistency. <laughs> what if it was just every piece was a different color? You could tell that a lawyer was coming because everyone's going like, ah, my eyes! <laughs> um, and the, the article I was reading that described this outfit, it was like, outfits were described all the time, but not with much precision. <laughs> so, like, because they were trying to construct what people would wear. So apparently it was always like, wow, he wore something really bright. Or like, just like general descriptions, but without going into what they were actually talking about. Mm. Which I found pretty funny. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so that's what they would have worn. That's really good. Imagine our friend Bartholomew, who I forgot to mention. Was a mule. He was not a mule, but he did go on um, to become the first president of the Parliament de Provence, which is the U.S. equivalent of the Chief Justice. <laughs> so just know that the Rat Defender... All that hard work paid off. Became chief justice. You know, I bet everyone like was constantly making fun of him for being the rat defender when he got up there. <laughs> like, ah, oh, old ratty Bartholomew. Oh, don't everybody hide your cheese. He defended some rats. <laughs> hide your barley. <laughs> hide your barley. Hide your mice. Oh. Just some former couple comes out to like their barn to hear a noise at night. And they just open it up, and he's just on the ground, just like stuffing barley in his mouth. And they're like, oh my god, it's I am the law. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rat Defender does sound like a superhero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd read a Rat Defender comic book. Uh, you want me to do a really quick round of what if they met? Sure. Okay, good. Because I, I was just looking at a Gangs of New York poster to try to figure out what people were wearing in the uh, <laughs> in uh, mid nineteenth century New York. You can still do that. If you it's want. Um, like twill uh, pants, like kind of like plaid, almost like a is it twill or tweed? Like almost like a plaid. Uh, that sounds like tweed. Uh, stripes and. And it's just pictures from Gangs of New York. Yeah, uh, just one. Just one. <laughs> and uh all right so four out of six people would wear top hats <laughs> one out of six people do not wear a hat i think this is exactly and what one, you're not supposed to do one out of you're not supposed to extrapolate from one instance one out of six people mm-hmm. was leonardo dicaprio
from one movie. <laughs> oh, wait. Like, that one guy had an elaborate beard, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Only one out of six people had facial hair. <laughs> wow, that's not amazing. amazing. Not Are you including women? Or there are no women at this time? Um, check, check the poster. Or are just, there just one. There, there are... There are three. Okay. There are three. That's Sorry, I was in the looking at the forefront, in the background, and I didn't crunch the numbers on on everyone in the. Wait, the women movie. are only in the background. Uh, or are they in the foreground? They are in the background. There's like ten to fifteen people in the background, but I haven't been able to crunch the numbers on there. It's not a good ratio. It's not a good ratio. Mm-hmm. No. Where did we come from? Storks. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So that's Some my... alien was exiled from his home planet and just brought us all in a warehouse and let us free. So we're Superman's babies. <laughs> <laughs> what if we already have reigned terror on whatever society was here first and we just don't remember? I mean, Neanderthals. Oh my god. Also, every other species. <laughs> Turn my whimsical... If sad thing into something really sad. You're right. We 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 you know we got here and we took over and now we put the rats on trial like they're second class citizens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I think a rat should be able to enter into a contract with God or man if he wants. I think rats should vote. <laughs> Rat defender. <laughs> anyway, what if they met? What, what if, if they, they met? met? <laughs> what if they 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 met? They never met, cause they're from different times and places they never met. But what if they met? Maybe this would've happened. What if they met? Do you think they would've ever brought gum on trial? Like this old church? Like if gum had, uh, stuck people's intestines together? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think they would've put the trees that make gum on trial. Ooh. Yeah. They would've, they would've summoned them to court, and then they would just be like, waiting, cause trees can't move. Yeah. And so they finally get somebody to come out with a wheelbarrow and a shovel to like dig the tree up and put it in a barrel, and they call him a bailiff, but really it's just a farmer. So I, I fell deep into the rabbit hole of um, trials against inanimate objects yeah, and animals. Especially trials against rabbits. <laughs> uh, and there is a tribe that, let's say someone falls off a tree and dies, they will burn the tree down as punishment Nice to the tree. Or, as a, or it could be more of like a symbolic, like... We're gonna put have closure with this kind of thing. I don't like to think it's the in the legal system. Yeah, You're like well, we're gonna bring that justice to that little boy. We're gonna burn this tree Wait, down. Is this law uh, commuted equally against all offenders? Like, if somebody falls off someone else's shoulders and dies, is that person burned down? I do not know. Hmm. This was just like a one-off of how this was just another example of an inanimate object being tried. Okay. In the thing that I read. Ooh. But say yes. What if a beaver or somebody falls off a horse and dies? Well, England had a system called Bowland, I believe, and the person who owned the horse would have to usually pay some sort of money mm-hmm. amount. Okay. Uh, but it depends. The amount of money changed depending on whether the horse was moving at the time, <laughs> and. I think they did a little bit more of fault analysis mm-hmm. also. But there was like a Boland system where like the object itself would be penalized also. Okay. Interesting. So if you're just a perfectly still horse, you could have kids vaulting over it all day without much fear. <laughs> that's what old Mr. Ed did after his son the mule was killed. No, wait. That's mm-hmm. not how that story ended. No. The mule lived. The mule lived. You're right. Yeah, what were you talking about? I was I was thinking of my fanfic about um, mule killing, victim blaming. 
Mr. Ed, the TV show. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you did with it, though? What? Is yeah. that the route you, you went? You I made mean, a mule rape trial happen in your Mr. Ed fan fiction? Well, it started off as a slow burn coffee shop IU, but then it got really out of hand. I don't know what that means. Okay, well, a coffee shop, uh, a, AU. Oh, is it's like Friends. U- yeah, AU is alternate universe. You take, like, the events, the like, characters in the story, and you just put them in a coffee shop. And they all work in a coffee shop, and not much happens. It's all about character interaction. Well, a lot of stuff seems to be happening in your messed up fan fiction. <laughs> it, got, it got out of hand, and I, you know, I regret. Don't you mean out of hoof? <laughs> Put hoof in your gum and chew it. <laughs> <laughs> so you were going to say about a beaver knoll. Oh, if, uh, well, yeah, so like, what would happen if a beaver chopped on a tree, chopped, chewed down a tree, and that tree goes, and hits a person? Who goes to trial? Are there three parties? Does Can the tree countersue the beaver? Hmm. I don't know. Well, I was going to expand it to an example of, like, if a rat, say, like, bit a horse or a cow, and then yeah. that horse or cow hurt somebody, what would happen? Oh, well, I think yeah. in this case, the the you have to go to um, uh, Criminal Mind, what's it called? Uh, there's a special Latin term for it. But basically, in the justice system, the intent uh, of crime is just to commit a crime is just as important as the action. And if you did not intend to commit a crime or did it by accident, then it is not that crime. It's usually downgraded to something less severe. So I think the rat in this case would be the guilty party, with the horse counting not as accomplice, but as a victim in it. Ooh. Yes. Because that's, that's, that's a reflex action. That's like uh, hitting somebody in the knee with a little hammer and then having them kick down a lamp and burn a house down. That's not their fault. But what if the horse already didn't like this person? Ooh, ooh. Well, that and then was just kind of like, you know, it's like at that point it was like, man, you know, that rat bit you like 200 yards ago. Did you really have to <laughs> run was... all that way? <laughs> just run him down? I don't know. Okay, there's oh. extenuating circumstances here. Mm. At this point, I don't know if the rat would be involved so much, except maybe as a character witness. Mm. That horse tasted delicious. <laughs> I I appeared in court because I wasn't the one on trial. Frankly, I do not regret it for a second. Sorry, I just my mind went somewhere else. Where did where did your mind go? Santa Anna just sluicing out water with his fake leg or with his uh, removed leg. Oh, what if they'd used a windmill to get the rats to come to court, and they just pumped him up out of the ground? <laughs> <laughs> Adorable. Oh, those poor rats. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it seemed like it worked out for them. It did work out for the rats. They, didn't they get, got off. Yeah, they ignored <clears throat> a court summons, um, and they never really stood trial, and those mean, evil farmers starved to death. And their defender was appointed the highest court in the land. So I think it worked out pretty well it did. for all yeah. parties involved. It did, yeah. 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 So it goes to show, if you're a lawyer and you can find loopholes and ways to delay and delay a case until everyone else gets too tired to keep going, you're going places. <laughs> I think that's a good moral to end on. Mm-hmm. I have anything else? Anything else? Just trying to think where I'm going to frivolously sue you for. <laughs> <laughs> keep you tied up in the courts for years. Wonderful. If you like this episode, please uh, leave us a, a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you do it. Um, it really helps us reach new listeners and also just like it's great it makes us happy makes you happy you know it's it's fantastic wins win win all around 
And if you're interested in hearing more of Cronacronismo, um, just send us an email and we can make an episode. Yeah, yeah, we'll send you we'll send you an RSS link to our uh, dark web feed. Um, uh, if you have any stories that you'd like to see covered, or any uh, any gum stories to share, any uh, gum ideas, uh, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, you can email us at itsanachronismo at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at, at anacpodcast, that's A-N-A-C podcast on Twitter. Also, if you have any stories about a time that you wanted to sue or bring an animal to court, I would personally love to hear those. If you want to bring an animal to court and get your due, call 1-800-anachronismo, and we'll take you to court. <laughs> way too long of a number <laughs> some of the letters are silent yeah, it's, it's a silent phone number it's gonna happen when someone punches that in about the time they get to the c or the h it's gonna go beep beep up. the number <laughs> of you have tried to reach is not in service please please dial phone companismo anyway until next time oh, i'm jackie i'm max i'm max i'm i'm max <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll let the courts decide that one. Eh? Eh? And we'll see you here on Anachronismo. Oh, good. Sure did, Max. <laughs> Thanks, Max. You're welcome.